Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Sweet Tea and D&D, a podcast where we discuss the lore and legends of Dungeons and Dragons, as well as our personal experiences, Dungeon Masters and players, all while drinking sweet tea. Today we're going to welcome you to our very first Halloween special. Ooh! Ooh, spooky! (laughs) You can almost feel the ghosts from here. Or that's just my looming student debt, who knows? Okay, (laughs) what a weird pause. Can you feel it creeping up on you? Interest. Every time they send me an email, yes. Three months. Here's your three month report. You still owe us a bunch of money. So much money. I You're know. so in debt. It's, I am it's so great. far in debt. <laughs> okay. Um, so today we are doing I'm doing vampires. Cause why not? Um but before I start on vampires, I want to backtrack to our last episode when we I did zombies because I'm I left out a very cool story. So my first time DMing, as I said, I've mentioned before, it started off very haphazardly, and when I finally got a story together and my players were pretty stable, um, I had one of them who was a brand newbie. She made this character named Red, a rogue, and. Red wasn't very smart. Like, he he made some bad decisions. Like, and that's not against the player. You know, I'm not hating it on the player. Just made some bad calls. Newbie bad calls. And it happens to us all. Um, and I tried really hard to save this character. So many times. So many times. Oh, my gosh. I was really lenient because, it. you know, you want to be, if someone's a brand new player, you want them to like the game and keep playing. And so, technically, this player should have died about three times. Um, but the last straw, this character died in a mountain that was the, at the bottom of the mountain, uh, lying in a deep sleep was the evil dragon goddess Tiamat. And they had to, they ended up climbing the top of the mountain looking for something that wasn't there and then going through the mountain and going through these different trials and puzzles and shit they had to do. It was great. I loved it. Um, but there was this fire puzzle and the player was, I, I'm trying to remember how they ended up dying the first time. They they ended up dying. And so what I did is I made them a zombie. I, I switched out some of their stats and made them a zombie. And to get across this fire thing, it was like a lava pit. And they had to jump and make a save. And then it was a little more confusing than that. Well, they just had to make like a dex check. Wasn't that the one I designed? No. Oh, it wasn't the non-Newtonian lava? Oh, it was. Yeah. But, I mean, it was just a dex check, and then yeah. they had to do, like, a couple of them to get across. Yeah. And for those of you who are not scientists, who don't know what non-Newtonian lava would mean, it's like, um, it's, it's where you hit it, and it gets, instead of being a liquid, and you're, you go through it, it becomes more of a solid material, and you would be able to quickly go across it. Um, but... Sh- this player failed to save several times. It ended up just getting sunken into the Wasn't lava. Wasn't one of the other players, didn't they push their into the lava at one point? They booted them into the lava? Booted the Spartan style, like, kicked them into the lava. total Spartan kick into the lava and failed to save. Failed another save. Another player tried to come Our back and grab them. Um, and it just didn't work. So it sunk into the lava so slowly. And since it's a zombie... It'll go through any means to get where it's trying to go. So it just kept going forward and sinking and sinking up to its shoulder. And then its head kind of popped off and rolled against uh, across the lava. And then it died. 
I'll have to post a picture of the player card that I made for them because I still have that on my phone. I think it's great. Anyway, vampires are, of course, things all of us have heard about in one way or another. Uh, it's a being from folklore that takes the essence of the living to survive, essence. which can get super gross. I bet there's a porno about that. Um, Rule 34, it exists, there's a porno <laughs> about it. Um, typically, this is in the form of blood. It's believed um, the misconceptions of having undead like this were brought about by ignorance of the body's decomposition process. The first reports of vampires describe them as bloated with a ruddy complexion and typically shrouded. So they always had their face covered. They hung out uh, in or around the villages that they died in, causing a range of problems uh, from random mischievous acts to causing the deaths of people in town. Uh, vampires, uh, to some degree, have been recorded in most 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 cultures. The name vampire was started in Western Europe after after mass hysteria arose from a folk belief in the Balkans area. It left a lot of corpses left with stakes in their heart and people being accused of vampirism. Different countries had their own term for vampires, such as, oh gosh, hear me butcher a word, uh, Striga in Albania, uh, Albania, Albania. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Sorry, Albania. I'm sorry about the public school system failing all of us. Gosh, you know what? Fuck off. Anyway. Vrykolikas in Greece and Striogi in in Romania. Um, The modern depiction of vampires as being sophisticated, articulated beings started in 1819 with John Polidori. He wrote a book called The Vampire. It was super successful and really paved the way for the the vampire fandom. (laughs) Fandom. Fandom. Totes. Um, And then um, Bram Stoker's Dracula gave birth to the current day vampire lore and it's considered the quintessential vampire novel. So, I didn't know there was someone. I thought Bomb, uh, Bram Stoker, like, really coined vampires. But I guess that was wrong. Um, so, they have different creation theories on how to make a vampire. <laughs> and some of the... I didn't know Chinese had beliefs in vampires. But what do I know? And their vampires are the easiest to make. Um, if you, <laughs> In Chinese beliefs... If a dog or cat jumped over a new grave, that person would become undead and be a vampire. Oh, that's quick and easy. It is. It's like just a random... But I guess because there are so few roaming dogs or cats in China. Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. Because people keep their pets in China. What are you thinking of, you racist? I saw your face. <laughs> you liar. I didn't say anything. I just said... People take care of their animals. Um, so if they did that, they would have an undead. Uh, the Russian belief said if you were a witch in your lifetime or had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church, that you were doomed to be undead. This is cultural practices often arose that were intended to prevent a recently deceased loved one from turning into an undead revenant. They use that word a lot in describing vampires, although in D&D it's something completely different. Um... They could bury you upside down. They could bury you with scythes or sickles. So that if it, this seems very counterproductive for why they say it is, uh, they would bury you with scythes or sickles so that if a demon got into the body, it would not want to arise from its coffin. I'm not sure how that works. Like maybe they're scared of the weapons. You know, they put it in pointing down so if they came up. Oh, there were no pictures. It just had words. So I was, I was trying to imagine That's that terrifying. in my head. Um, I was like, just giving an undead a weapon. Like, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> Glad Thanks. I left this here. <laughs> now I'll just take take my vengeance. Um, placing a coin in the mouth of the deceased, which they said was derived from the Grecian practice of doing that over the eyes to pay the ferryman. But I wondered if they put silver coins on them. Because, mm. you know, vampires and silver. A wax cross was sometimes laid over the bodies. They would sometimes sever the corpses at the knees, scatter poppy seeds, millet, or sand over the grave. Okay. Um, and then the, the best one, my favorite, and the one I want used when I die. Um, <laughs> Other than your will. Uh, Chinese belief um, said that if you had a bag of rice near the grave. You had to count it. They have to count it. That's where the count who count comes from. You are freaking lying. That's to me. why he does it. Because you would, in order to get away from a vampire, you would throw something at them that they have to compulsively count. So you'd be like, "It's a bag of rice," and be like, "Damn you!" And then they would start <laughs> counting the rice, and then you could be like, "Sorry, bro," and then leave. That's why he's the count who counts. How did you find that out? Because I spend too much time on the internet. Well, I guess like I didn't find this out until I was actively looking for vampires, and even then I thought it was completely absurd and in no way related it to Sesame Street. Not one grain of rice. Ah, ah, ah. But I'm thinking a, I'm thinking a bag of like rice and this poor bastard's just running after you and it's like, damn, and <laughs> sit cross legged and just count grains of rice While and cackling mad. And just God forbid he loses count and has to start all over. <laughs> you just kinda of sweep him at his feet or the wind blows. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So apparently that's a thing, yep. and now we know. So if there's any thought that I'm going to turn into a vampire, just leave me a bag of rice. Um. So they also had different ways to identify vampires, which the beautiful thing of Wikipedia is it doesn't always have to make sense in their layout, and this doesn't really make a lot of sense. But here's what they said: they said if you had a virgin boy on a virgin horse and it went through. Yes. Um, and it went through, um, a place where you thought a vampire was just hanging out. They, the horse would start to freak out at the gravesite. And I thought that was so weird that you're just going to go around looking for a virgin boy and a virgin horse and send them to the undead. <laughs> send this small <laughs> child out on our freshest pony. He hasn't done it yet. Neither has the horse. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> Um, so that's what they would do. Um, vampire bodies and graves would show little to no decomposition. They would be covered in the fresh blood of their victims. Sheep, cows, and other livestock in the area would go missing or would engage in poltergeist behavior and throw small objects. But they don't say like if this is in like a graveyard or if this is in a house they think has a vampire. I don't know. Um, and then protection means garlic. Bags of rice. <laughs> Every wedding Just, is safe. I get, you know. Well, you can't throw rice anymore. No, not All if the, you have it in a formal place, yeah. Oh, I thought it was for the birds. Well, yeah, like if you have it at a outdoors place. Oh, yeah. But like if I'm out in the country, I suppose I could. But the birds would still die. But it's you okay. don't care. You know how I feel about birds. <laughs> thought about throwing rice outside my apartment because it keeps <laughs> shitting on my car. <laughs> Then you just have dead birds everywhere in your car. Dead birds don't shit. I'll put that on a t-shirt. Wow. So much. Okay. So you could use garlic, the branch of a wild rose, and hawthorn. In Europe, mustard seed would be thrown on the roof. Maybe that's another counting thing. 
Crucifixes, holy water, and rosaries were also said to keep them away. They also cannot set foot on consecrated ground or go through running water. They're vulnerable to sunlight and cannot enter a dwelling without first being invited. Let's see. And then it goes on how to kill them. Wooden stakes are most often used in different countries, and each country has a wood that it says is better for killing a vampire. That sounds like too much of a process. Um, <laughs> they thought if you buried a, a scythe, a sickle or scythe with them, like, I guess, like you said, you would put it through the coffin and it would pierce their bodies if they tried to come out, rise up or whatever. Um, or if you poured boiling water over their graves, <laughs> sprinkle holy water, put metal pieces over their heads and uh, eyes, etc., or stake them. Like just, just beforehand. Just, that just sounds expensive with all the precious metals involved with this. I'm just like, proactively stake him in the heart. There yeah, there go. you go. Just. Um, then it kind of went into more of the ancient belief systems of blood drinkers and demons and stuff. And I just don't no. really. Did you hear about the 10-year-old kid they found with a rock in his mouth? That I've... I'm curious as to how this is related. Go it on. It was a vampire burial. This kid died from an unknown illness, and at the time it was malaria, but they didn't know that. And uh, in order to prevent him from rising back and biting other people, they shoved a rock in his mouth when he in his body and then buried him. Nice. We yep. have a weird collection of knowledge about vampires. <laughs> this was like two weeks ago that they found. The oh body. my gosh! Yeah. So was this? Did he recently die of malaria? No, it was from the fifth century. Oh. Yep. Buried it with the rock, and he was like 10 years old. Where was this at? Uh, Italy. Italy? Oh. That's, mm-hmm. that, that's cool. Um, so, now to D&D vampires. Um, they're on page 296 of the Monster Manual. Why you skip the Twilight vampires? Because we, we don't, don't speak the of the Twilight vampires. vampires. But I will make a segue, since you brought it up, because I've read all the books and watched all the movies, and I secretly love it. Um... <laughs> So I was a. Dope. And this concludes our D and D podcast. <laughs> I have to find new friends. <laughs> I was a total twihard. So here was the thing. There's a word for it. I'm. If there's not, there is now. I'm pretty sure that's it. I don't know. Anyway, I was stuck having to wait for something. I don't remember what it was, but I went into Barnes and Noble and just picked up a. I picked up the first Twilight. People said it was good. And so I just started reading it. And this random woman was like, don't start it. You won't stop. And she was right. I devoured that whole book in like two hours. And then I got the next one. And then I got the next one. And then I was like, give me more. And How many are there? Three or four? There's three. Oh, okay. Ha ha. <laughs> But I really liked it. And I will say the movies, I didn't care for. The books, as in most things, are better. And I like the way they said that they had venom. Because I always wondered, how exactly does a vampire become a vampire? All they say is, oh, you drink someone's blood. But okay, what does it have to do with anything? What is the process? What does it do to your body? And they never explain it in other How does a pulseless corpse get an erection? That's my question. (laughs) Because if we're going to talk about the realism of vampires, they have... Uh, I'm going to throw this pizza plate at you. Just let <laughs> but, me talk about things yeah. that I like. <laughs> let people enjoy things. I just I was going to say, I imagine Edward... Never mind. Just the flaccid. Drink your tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Anywho. Get the, the turkey baster. <laughs> I'm going in. For all the other Twilight fans, 
you can just message me specifically about it and we'll talk. It's great. It's fine. <laughs> but like, it was a much better thing than saying they had a sun allergy to say, oh, they're so beautiful because they, they're charismatic because their skin glistens in the sunlight and people just want to come and flock to them. Fuck off. Anyway, don't give me that look of shame. <laughs> I'm getting all the shame looks over here. What the heck? Anyway, I like Twilight and now we're going to talk about D&D vampires. Anywho, they're on page 296 of the Monster Manual. And here's the thing about vampires. If you're going to use one in your campaign, you have to create a story around it. A myth, a legend, whispers in the night about this vampire. It's going to take build up. You can't just randomly introduce a vampire into a situation, I don't think. I I would think you would need to have a good backstory because these are pretty sturdy creatures and they come with a lot of bells and whistles. Flavor text. Yeah. I mean, there's so much lore behind them. Aren't they like two pages on their own in the manual? Yeah, it's a two-page spread. Mm -hmm. So it's page 296 and 297. Um... So just keep that in mind if you're ever thinking of using one. You really have to make a good backstory for it. And let's see. Vampires, they only live in the coolest of places like castles and things that are fortifiable. That's a word. I don't know. Things they can fortify, things that have defenses because usually people want to murder them. Um, around their lair, there is an increased population of bats, rats, and wolves. Plants within 500 feet wither and their branches become twisted and thorny. These are the... Elemental or environmental impacts from them. Yeah, there's a word for it and I forgot what it is. I didn't write it down. Anyway, um, shadows within 500 feet become gaunt and move as if they're alive. Also within 500 feet, creepy fog hangs around and will look like grasping claws or writhing serpents. Gosh, words. Most destroy these effects... End after 2d6 days. So I had a question, and maybe you can answer this. So these are the things that happen around their lair. Do you have to use these? You don't have to use them. They're more of an obvious thing to give to the players. Like, they've entered more of a dark region. Um, unless it says, like, the the ma- monster might, or the manual might say this is something they cannot control. Similar to, like, the ghost from our last episode. It doesn't say that. Then that's something that they could take effect, but it's your choice of whether or not you use that. It's the, um, I'll have to look, open the actual book and look yeah. at it. Um, but it's, it's described as what to, what you see always around their layers. Yeah. So I was like, do you have to use it? Do you have to give the dead giveaway of, you don't hey, have to, cause a lot of that comes here. with most of the main monsters, like dragons do that constantly where they affect the area around them. Yeah. Most creepy bits and undead always affect the areas around them. Mm-hmm. Regional effects. Regional Damn, effects. Why are these words so hard? Okay. Regional effects. And there's nothing that says you have to use them. But I guess it is, you do want to give your players a heads up to know that something spoopy is going on. Um, I'm going to be using a vampire pretty soon. I'm stoked. Um, my goal is kind of to use every monster that we talk about and just throw them all into one campaign and see what happens. Um, anywho, uh, vampires are a CR 13. They have about 200 HP if you take the highest stats. Yep. Um, and they are good at everything. They do not have any low stats. Um, all of them are 18. Okay, it's 18, 18, 18, 17, 15, 18. That's what the Briarwood was, right? Uh, yeah, the uh, Silas Briarwood was a vampire. So I'm. Critical Role. It's campaign one. 
Okay. Um, so they're good at everything. These dudes are hard to kill. Um, they're resistant to necrotic, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks, and they have superior dark vision. Um, they have a vast array of things that make them really cool. They are shape changers. If they're not in sunlight or running water, which is the case for most of the cool things they can do, uh, they can turn into a bat or into mist. While transformed, they can't speak. The walking speed is 5 feet, flying speed is 30 feet, and all of their stats stay the same. Uh, their clothes and the things that they are wearing will transform, but if they're carrying something, it does not, because it's fog or a bat. <laughs> so they cannot hold things. Um, whilst fog... Tw- while whilst fog that's a great word whilst fog 20 feet uh is their speed they're weightless and can enter a hostile creature space and stop there so they can invade your space mm-hmm. uh they can pass through space but not through water um and they have on strength decks and con saves oh my god guys my nose are the worst they have advantage i think on strength decks and con saves yes sorry my nose are terrible um, and it's immune to everything except sunlight. Mm-hmm. There's also legendary resistance. If it fails a saving throw, it can choose to succeed. There's misty escape. Uh, so when it drops to zero hit points and it's not in sunlight or running water, it turns into mist and has to reach its resting place. So it has to go back to its coffin, mm-hmm. wherever that is. It only has two hours to do so. Um, and during the trip, it cannot turn back into its humanoid form. Mm-hmm. It has to stay that way until it reaches it and then be, and then sleep. And I put air quotes as paralyzed. So it cannot move for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to get to one HP before it can do anything. Um, at the beginning of its turn, it regains 20 hit points as long as it has at least one at the start. And the previous attack was not radiant damage or holy water. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty legit. It has spider climb. It can climb on walls and ceilings without having to make an ability check. Now the weaknesses are, they're pretty, they're pretty. They don't have a lot of weaknesses, but the weaknesses they have would really suck. Um, it has to be invited into a residence, which brought up my um, wondering about public places. Like, do you need an mm-hmm. invite for public places? Yep. So says who? Well, unless they have like a come on in sign on the front. I mean, it's a public place. No one needs an invitation for a public place. That's right? true. I don't know. They're just going to the library. Yeah, constantly. they're just going to the library. What do they need an Feasting invitation in the for? library. <laughs> they have <laughs> a library card. That's all they need. That's it. Um, They just hold it up at the door. (laughs) (laughs) You issued this to me. I can leave and enter as I please. Like I said, they can't go through running water. And if they do so, they get 20 acid damage if it ends its turn in running water. Um, If the vampire is in its resting place and paralyzed and you stake it in the heart, it's paralyzed until the stake is removed. And if it starts its turn in sunlight, it takes 20 radiant damage. And it has disadvantage while in sunlight on attack rolls and ability checks. Um, it can do a multi-attack and it's only in its vampire form, which can take the shape of two unarmed strikes or an unarmed, unarmed strike and a bite. Mm. Uh, with an unarmed strike, it does eight bludgeoning damage and it can choose to grapple and not do damage. And the escape DC is 18. That's a high DC. It but it is, is a 13 a or 15 CR. 13. Uh, it's up there. Um, it can bite as a vampire or as a bat. One creature... Uh, either willing or grappled, and I'll explain the willing in a second. Incapacitated or restrained, they take seven piercing damage, ten necrotic damage, 
and the target's HP max is reduced by an amount equal to the necrotic damage taken, and the vampire regains that amount as HP. Damn. So you, like, suck the life force out of him and get it yourself. <laughs> um, this lasts until you finish a long rest. If the target dies because the HP max is reduced to zero, um, and, it's, and the target's buried or just left there, you don't destroy the body, it will rule... The following night, it will arise as a vampire spawn. Mm-hmm. 24 hours. So, that's fun. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a cool thing to drop on your players if you can. Uh, the willing part of what I said before is it has a charm effect. So, a humanoid within 30 feet, if they fail a DC 17 wisdom saving throw, they'll be charmed and regard the vampire as a trusted friend to be listened to and protected. Uh, but it is not being forcibly controlled. So, it can only make suggestions... It can't actually force you to do anything. Uh, it takes the request in the most favorable way and is a willing victim for the bite attack. So that's pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, if the target is harmed, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on a success. Otherwise, the effect lasts 24 hours or until the vampire is destroyed on a different plane or they end, the vampire ends the effect as a bonus action. Um, the last thing it can really kind of do that's Actually, pretty cool is it can summon 2d4 bats or rats, provided the sun isn't up, or 3d6 wolves Mm -hmm. while it's outside. That's a big thing in Barovia. You're constantly being followed by wolves. Wolves. (laughs) Wolves. Wolves. Um, The creatures arrive in 1d4 rounds, acting as allies and obeys the commands, and they remain for an hour or until the vampire dies or until they're dismissed. Um, Then it has legendary actions where... They're, they're not as impressive. Oh, I know, right? Vampires are pretty badass. Um, they do have legendary actions. It can move at speed without provoking an opportunity attack. It can do an unarmed strike or take a bite action. Um, it has three actions that it can do. Um, moving cost one, unarmed strike cost one, and a bite cost two. Um, and I did, I did try to look at the wiki fandom, but it was so diverse. It was, there was no real, set thing the only set stats and such were like in the players of course the the monster manual Mm -hmm. Um, but they used the things i talk about already within the lore of vampires to kind of tweak them they could about being allergic to garlic mirrors um they said a a devout cleric could try and use some sort of radiant damage against them Mm -hmm. them from their deity so you could tweak it as much as you want but as always consistency is key when you do that Mm -hmm. Um, dip, 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 dip. Oh, I did not know this, but vampires are a playable race in D&D Beyond. And Wiki Fandom says you can make your vampire a total badass by having it turn into a wolf, a dire wolf, or a dire bat. So, have fun with that. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I thought that was pretty badass. I was like, shit. You're going to build an unstoppable vampire. But vampires are pretty cool. If you get to use them and you build up a good story. And then there's also the most famous... Vampire in D and D fandom, who is Strahd. Strahd, yeah. If you want a sad, sad, sad boy to play as a vampire, you are welcome to play Strahd. His his backstory is the saddest, like angsty teen backstory you can find. It's just like Edward Cullen. Oh God, but with less <laughs> glitter. Um, more bats, less glitter. I have tried three times to play Curse of Strahd and have not made it all the way through that campaign. I've kind of lost my feel for it, but I've heard it's really good. I've heard, because it's been around for forever. 
And yeah, it was had a remake to like, for 5e. Yeah, they've had to redo it like two or three times to get with the modules. But yeah, I've heard it's a great yep. run through. If you get a good DM and a good set of players to really spice it up. Yes, because in, in the case of this, you're in a pocket dimension of Barovia. And a lot of... I found it difficult with backstories because you can't really access them because you've been isolated from everything else. Mm-hmm. So unless you have an automatic backstory of being in Barovia... Or maybe you left Barovia at one point and now you're coming back. Uh, then there's really no explanation for your backstory there. Unless your DM is really skilled at working that in. Um, I always thought it'd be good. It, I think it's a really good module for brand new players who really just need to dive in. Because they don't have to worry about a backstory. They don't have to worry about trying to really add all the flavor to their character. You could just give them a pre-gen if absolutely needed. And run through it if you wanted to. So I think that's one of the redeeming qualities. That if you're a new player, this is a really good module to do because you don't need a backstory. You can really just kind of run into it. So that's my two cents on that. And I really, really hope that one day I get to play with Deanne. Hello, Deanne. I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> I know she will. She's great. Um, she's a really skilled player and dungeon master. And I know she puts on one hell of a curse of strahd campaign so i really hope one day i can play with her so what do you have for us so today i'm going to be talking about our first homebrew monster on the show homebrew. uh i'm going to be discussing the masked killer uh you can find this on reddit's uh, monster of the week type uh list so if you search monster a day masked killer created by stone Strix, or just monster a day masked killer it should be the first thing you find on the link I was inspired to do this by the upcoming Halloween movie. They are not sponsoring this, but that would be a dream. Uh, so um, just to give a little background of what happened in the Halloween movie, it was actually initially released in 1976. Uh, the villain in that is Michael Myers, not to be confused with Mike Myers, the beloved voice actor of Shrek. Uh, he originally appeared in John Carpenter's Halloween 1978 movie. Uh, he was a young boy who murdered his sister and was taken to an asylum or prison. Uh, he was then released 15 years later and decided to murder some more, mainly angsty and sexually active teens <laughs> in his hometown, and particularly Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, it's actually the movie where Jamie Lee Curtis got her start. Uh, on the silver screen. So um, when you have a moment, grab some Activia, sit down and watch it. <laughs> Just wait till you're finished listening to us. Uh, so appearance-wise, in the film, Mike Myers wears a jumpsuit and a creepy white mask with mangled brown hair while wielding a l- large knife. The William Shatner mask. The William Shatner mask. That is a fun fact I have here. Uh, it cost $300,000 of 1978 money to make the film, and it grossed $47 million over its entire product- or lifetime. Wow. Uh, the mask that Michael wears is a $1 Captain Kirk mask that they painted fish belly white, according to Wikipedia, and painted the hair brown and also cut the eye holes to be a little bit bigger. Mm. So it's just this creepy expressionless mask, much like Captain Kirk's acting. Uh, I'm just kidding. William Shatner, William is, Shatner a treasure. is a treasure. Watch him sing rocket man three different ways. Uh, so, uh, so they cut the holes open so that he could better see to stab what, or to see what he was stabbing. Uh, and in per- particular, the sound effect of him stabbing things was a watermelon. So if you really want to step up your game when you're running a masked killer, grab a watermelon and a knife and stab it every time you hit a player. Wow. <laughs> really scare them. Uh, so this masked creature is a chaotic, evil humanoid that can look however you want. You can make it any race you please. And I recommend the following masks. The half mask, like Phantom of the Opera. 
Chucky mask, because I hate that tiny doll. Uh, the Scream mask from the movie Scream. Great movie. Yep. The false uh, mask we wear every day to convey the outside world that we have our crap together. Oh. Uh, the Guy Fox mask. Uh, Majora's mask, or any mask that covers your face, because it's just a mask killer and it's not specific. Man, not to go on a tangent, but if you gave someone the powers of Majora's mask, you would have a great villain mm-hmm. in your D&D universe. Yeah. And he just happens to be a serial killer. Or she. You can make it a female serial killer. Who cares? So, because it is homebrew, there isn't really flavor text to go along with it. So instead, I'm going to tell you good advice on how to survive your own horror movie if you get stuck in one. So, first rule, never go off and investigate on your own. Lies. You're just going to die. We're yep. going to Scooby-Doo this shit. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> always look behind you. The enemy is always back there. Uh, never watch a horror movie while in a horror movie. You never know. But So I live by this rule and just never watch horror movies. Uh, make sure your car works. And remember that even if a tire is blown out or not functioning, you can still drive on it. A tire is cheaper than a funeral. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, no matter what Scooby-Doo taught you, never split up. Uh, when some place is haunted fucking leave it like that's that's the easiest thing i know as a white person we like to stay in haunted areas because we think it's fun but stop that shit leave be the person who is sane and go ooh, poltergeist <laughs> i'm gonna find a new apartment once uh, the things start moving on their own there's just no reason yeah, to stay. unless it's cleaning up after itself there's no reason for you to stay there just move i feel like the both of us have listened to too many episodes of and that's why we drink to yeah. ever just no. linger in a place no because we've seen and heard the mm-hmm. bad things mm-hmm. that can happen so uh also where uh <laughs> yeah i my last note was like take a vacation from your haunted home or burn it down like that time i saw a spider uh in my old apartment which isn't true i haven't committed arson sorry company that manages my apartment uh so avoid or always wear comfortable shoes that are great for running uh so get yourself some combat boots uh avoid proms high school parties or long-winded social gatherings uh, <laughs> gosh that's just a general rule of thumb especially if you're over the age of 18 why are you at a prom uh always assume the attacker is still alive so and if you're in a functioning car which you should have already checked run them over that's what it's for um uh, and always remember to keep it in your pants. Sexually active teens are always targeted, and sex is a great way to get pregnant, STD, or an axe to the face. So keep that in mind when you're in a horror movie. So um, we like we to draw... the classic rule of horror movies. What's the last classic rule I forgot? That you was never tenor. say you'll be right back. Oh, yeah. Never <laughs> say you'll be right back and never have sex. Those are the two rules in a horror movie for sure. You'll be right back. You ain't coming back. I mean, mm-hmm. Scream told us specifically what not to do. And Scream, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great movie, guys. Watch it. So uh, you'll see these posted on our social media soon, which we're going to post all of our pictures eventually. We dropped. We, we dropped, dropped today. We dropped today. As we're recording this drop, on the drop, 21st, drop. our first three episodes dropped. And I'm currently waiting for Amazon, not Amazon, Apple to approve my podcast because I'm slow. Uh, so what we're going to do is go kind of go off of our physical description here is the drawing that was provided by Eric Belisle or B E L I S L E which can be found on the Reddit page uh and in general it can be a man or a woman wearing studded leather armor and has multiple weapons all while its face is obscured uh the masked killer has an AC of 15 its HP can range from 97 to 143 if you take the maximum roll it has an average speed of 30 feet it has a plus three to con and plus four to dex. Or sorry, plus three to con and dex, a plus four to strength, a plus two to wisdom saves, or wisdom and charisma, and a zero to um, intelligence. Not a very smart guy. 
It has a plus six to con saves and a plus five to wisdom saves. It is really, really good at intimidation. It has a plus five to intimidation, a plus five to perception, and my favorite, a plus six to stealth. Uh, there are no resistances or immunities. This isn't technically a magical creature. Um, it does have a passive perception of 15 and based off of its stats. Currently, it is a CR5 monster. So they do have the aggressive feature, meaning that as a bonus action, if they are hostile, hostile towards a creature, they can move at their speed automatically up to it and get up in its face. Uh, they're also an ambusher, meaning they have advantage on attacks when the creature is surprised. Uh, they are relentless, meaning that uh, it does recharge after a short or long rest, but if they take 20 damage or less, that drops them to zero hit points. They automatically stay at one instead of zero. Uh, they have surprise attack because they are kind of built around a rogue. So if they have surprise on the first round of a creature, similar to an assassin rogue, they get a plus four D6 to the damage roll. And per turn, it has multi-attack, meaning it gets to do three multi-attacks using a short sword, which is pretty badass for a CR5 creature. Uh, they have a plus seven to hit and a 1D4, or sorry, 1D6 plus four to the damage. If the target is not undead or a construct, so if it has blood, uh, it makes a DC 14 con save. If it fails, the creature is considered bleeding and it takes an additional 1d10 damage on its turn, at the beginning of its turn. Uh, if the um, monster or killer hits this targeted creature again, it gets to double the damage dice to another 1d10. So you can really gut your enemies with this one. Uh, however, <laughs> the students... Or, sorry, students. I assume they're all just killing high school kids at this point. Now, if your players uh, take an action to do a medicine check uh, to stance the wound, which is a DC 14 medicine check, they can stop the wound from bleeding and no longer take that effect. However, they can also just heal themselves up with magical healing to seal up the wound. Uh, but they do lose their entire turn to stop themselves from bleeding out. So... As for tactics, just slaughter everything in your path because you can. Uh, I would suggest sneaking up on the party while they're on watch or in the woods or if they're in more of an urban setting, you kind of split them up by some means. So I like to think of it as a way to kind of like, oh, there's a noise coming from the side. Likely the whole party is not going to go investigate it. Maybe one or two unless they're smart because what's rule number? Uh, let's see. Rule number one, never go off and investigate. Or never split the party. Scooby-Doo is a liar. Uh, so uh, once you've kind of split up the party one way or another, you just kind of have to trick them into that one. Uh, just start murdering them by sneaking up on them. It has a plus six to stealth. Stealth up on them. My suggestion would be to use your first of your multi-attacks to grapple your enemy with the high athletics ability. And then you're going to use the next two since they're grappled. Well, they don't get advantage on this, but then you just stab them twice. Stabby stab. Multiple stabs. If you want to do more damage, I would just suggest hitting them all three times at once, especially if they're kind of low. Um, uh, try to pick off your targets one by one. Uh, don't get them to fight you in a group. And I like the idea of possibly giving your party like a day off after a dungeon dive or delve or whatever you want to call it. And then while they're having a nice picnic or something at night at a harvest festival, that's when the bloodshed begins. <laughs> and then you just kill them all. All right. Okay. So, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, just kill them off one by one on a cornfield. I, I would recommend that, uh, yeah, uh, with the relentless skill, which says that at 20 hit points or less, they drop to one hit point instead of zero, you might use this to fake their death so that the enemy or the mass killer falls to the ground. 
and then they have one hit point. And if the party leaves them alone and runs in fear, then that person can just get up. And if you'd feign your, or fake your death long enough, it might be enough to stealth away without the rest of the group noticing. Um, and I think, as I mentioned before, the best thing you should do is purchase the watermelon if they're in season. And every time you hit a player, stab it. Gosh. I know, right? I feel like you have aggression that we need to talk about. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so... With that, you now have your best masked killer. If you want to spice it up, make it masked magical as some type of a reward for the players. I think that would be a good idea to give to them as something they survived. Like, maybe a t-shirt. I survived the Halloween or whatever. Well, we made... I feel like in most of my campaigns, we end up making shirts as as players. We did. Well, in the first one I did, which they're still available, I would give the email address but i don't have it on hand right now um we made i was saved by kanye of the western clan and kanye was a bard that we had who did they rocked out and saved the entire town so um we made shirts because we're not nerds and then we had shirts made in my most recent campaign but what was it for what did we make shirts for that time well one right before this one started yeah Oh, I, we were fighting, we were doing Rage of Demons in the middle of the pit, and for the entire time, I could not hit the main enemy at all. Like, I literally just stood there and was just like, I'm useless. And so, I think I said, I went to the, um, Underdark and didn't slay the Demogorgon or oh. something like that. It was, it was funnier at I think time, it was, I all I remember. got was this lousy t-shirt. And all I got was this, I don't remember what it said, <laughs> but it was, essentially, it was shame on me for not doing anything. However... We kind of modified the story from what I understand from the GM's perspective. And we were fighting this Baylor named, I don't remember what the hell his name was, but uh, I ended up cleaving off most of his limbs from that. So oh gosh, yeah, it was great. You did. I cut off like two or three of his main limbs. So it was no, out of the four. So it was really nice. But yeah, he's dead now. We finished that campaign and um, I did absolutely nothing for the main boss fight. It was great. Winning. Hashtag winning. Okay. I want to see your drawing. Oh, geez. Okay. I apologize for his face in advance. <laughs> it does kind of look like the count. Oh, my God. It looks like a lizard man. <laughs> it's a really bad Majora's mask. I'm going to get you. <laughs> Soon you'll be able to see all of our pictures Eventually, on our social media. On medias. our social media. Yep. They'll, come, um, they'll be released with the episodes. It- <laughs> I don't know how there's a face attached to this mask, but I'm assuming it's somewhere. It's strapped in there somewhere. Don't question it. And how the eyes really work because those eyes are so far apart. It modifies your facial proportions like the mask from Mask. Um, it makes me think of um from Futurama, the the stabby robot. Clamps. Oh, no, not clamps. Not yeah. clamps. Roberto, um, I think Roberto. Name. Yeah. <laughs> His eyes were really far yep. apart. That's what this looks like. Yep. You're welcome for that beautiful <laughs> art. Yours looks like a very well-rounded um vampire. It's the bloated ones. It's from the bloated the one who has the worst comb over imaginable for any vampire. He's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you can sleep with them. <laughs> so. Well, so you remember in, you may not remember, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but in Interview with the Vampire? No, I don't. Okay. Seen so, you know, producer. Um, Garrett. In, in this movie, um, the vampires from the time they are created cannot change their physical appearance. They, even, they can't cut their hair. They can't do anything. So he had bad bedhead when he died. 
and he's now cursed forever with bad bed. Aw, that's tragic. And that's what I choose to believe. Okay. <laughs> I choose to believe, but kind of like people always panic, like, remember, whatever you're wearing the day you die is what you wear as a ghost. It's your ghost clothes. It's just like, oh, man, I'm going to look like a dumbass for the rest of eternity. Oh, God. I was wearing a graphic tee and cargo shorts. <laughs> Thank God someone put him out of his misery. I would just be in a big t-shirt with no pants on. Like, that's how I choose to spend most of my life if possible. What if you died on the toilet with your pants around your ankles? Does that count? Are they are they never allowed to be pulled back up? Are you always kind of just doing the the, the trot, the shuffle? <laughs> The bathroom shuffle for eternity. <laughs> if I did that and I was a ghost who died on the toilet, I would just steal toilet paper. That would yes. be my poltergeist nonsense. The poltergeisty thing is you're always out of toilet paper. Yeah. Where is it? Who knows? It turns up in the most random places. Maybe I just threw it in your tub and turned the water on. It's in the, the refrigerator. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder. Okay, somebody get back to me. Is cold toilet paper a good idea or not? If anybody's tested that out, let me know. it depends on how much you have to poop. Like, you may want the cooling refreshness after <laughs> so long. <laughs> <laughs> they both rub their faces as if that's not a funny joke. It's funny. Anyway, so um we did drop this uh we did drop our episodes one through three today and they are on our website, which This is gonna be released a week after that, so there's no reason to tell them it. To put our social media outlets out there. Oh, I thought producer you were probably thinks there's a good reason to put our social media outlets on there. Yeah. Thanks. Scream them. Shut your pie hole. <laughs> So you can catch us on our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, all at sweetteandnd.com. That is D, the letter N, and D, not an ampersand. Um, or at our website, which has a long name that I don't remember. What is it, Zach? It's the same as our uh, social media handle, sweetteandnd.simplecast.fm. Uh, we're looking to get on other podcatchers. That's just what we have at the moment until Apple is nice to me and says you're good to go. So... This is what I get for doing everything last minute. So check us out. Listen to our episodes. Uh, talk to us. Please. Email us your <laughs> loving comments, not your hateful ones. Oh, gosh. I can't handle that. I'll just it's going to be the worst part of this whole adventure. But just know that we do this because we love the game and not for any other reason. So and I guess until next time. Oh. Say bye. 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 <laughs>